0: By your I've been captured by your grace, I've been covered by your blood. I- Well, let's begin making our way back to our seats, church family. If you're new to the Brook today, we're so glad you could be with us. Uh, we really are thrilled when we see new faces each Sunday. And we want you to be a part of our church family. And uh, so we're glad you're here with us. As Jeremy mentioned October 9th is our three-year anniversary. I want to put a challenge out to you guys. Since our three-year anniversary, who are three people in your life that you can invite to be part of the church family here? Who are three people in your life that you can invite? People who are not part of another church, um, but people who are without a church, people who maybe are lost or trying to figure things out. Who are three people in your life that you can invite with a personal, thoughtful, prayer-saturated invitation October 9th. Let's make that our goal, church. Three people each that we prayerfully invite to be part of our church family. In a couple weeks, we're going to go out into the neighborhood with flyers and invite our community. Uh, That'll be October 2nd. We're going to be putting things out on Facebook and Instagram and other parts of social media, email blasts. We want to spread the word uh, about what God is doing among us. And really, you guys all have to be a part of that. We need you. We Each of us have a sphere of influence in our lives, and I want us to leverage that for kingdom purposes, that people who are far from Jesus would come to know him, just as you were once far from Jesus and come to know him. And for some of us, remain far from him, and Jesus is calling you to come to know him. We've been going through the book of Mark for this entire year at the brook. It's hard to believe we are some 25 sermons or something like that into the book of Mark. And we find ourselves in chapter 8 today. We've chosen the book of Mark to be the book that we're going to take our time going through over many, many Sundays. As it is right now, I think the plan is to finish this by June of next year, July. We'll see how that works. The reason we picked the book of Mark is it lays out a picture of followers of Jesus trying to learn what it looks like to actually follow him. You know, a lot of times we see in the Bible heroes of the faith, and we think of their great achievements how Moses parted the Red Sea, how Noah built the ark, how Jonah preached to Nineveh, you know, how Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. We see these heroes of the faith, Daniel and the lions, that David slain Goliath. And we sometimes forget that they were human, just like you and me. We, we tend to forget that the same kind of blood that ran through their veins is the same kind of blood that runs through ours. And in the book of Mark We see the followers of Jesus very humanly. We see them failing. We see them unbelieving. We see them discouraged and trying to figure things out. But what I also love in the book of Mark is that we see people who become heroes of the faith and we never find out their name. They kind of been forgotten in history apart from what they have done. And I resonate to that because the truth of the matter is with 7 billion people in the world... And people being born and dying every day, a hundred years from now, a couple hundred years from now, our names will probably be forgotten from a global standpoint, but not from God's standpoint. And the lives that we live can have a profound effect in the lives of other people. People's eternity can be changed because of you, though your name may be forgotten for years. That's profound, Church. And in the book of Mark, we see this kind of thing. We see the people we expect to succeed fail. We see those who we don't know uh, become heroes. And so as we look at this, we've seen in the previous few Sundays that the particular disciples of Jesus had begun to really misunderstand what Jesus was about. And today, their misunderstanding is going to come to a head, and Jesus is going to issue a pretty stern warning to them, a warning against having a hardened heart. Hard hearts are easy, easily grown, but not easily recognized. And Jesus points that out in his disciples because he's concerned about them. You ever ta- eat a bowl of oatmeal and leave it on the counter And don't put water in it and it stays there overnight. When you come back to it the next morning, what happens? You get in trouble. I know it. It's hard. And it's so hard you couldn't even scrape it out. And what's interesting about oatmeal is all you got to do is simply leave it unattended. Just don't look after it. Just let it sit there and it will become hardened. And if you try to work at it, it feels discouraging. You feel like there's no way to get this thing out. It's not hard to make it harden. You can't even see the process, but all of a sudden, it's hard and stuck to the bowl. And the only way to unharden your oatmeal is to do what? Water and let it soak. You got to let it soak in order to soften what was hard. And once it soaks for a while, the hardness can be removed and things are back normal again. You see, the human heart is in the same way. Our hearts, when they are left unattended, can easily become hardened without us even seeing it happen. We don't have to look at the process, but when we are leaving our hearts unattended, over time, it will become hardened. And what God wants us to do is to take note of that great danger. And the recipe to heal a hardened heart is to soak in Jesus' presence and in the Word of God. And what Jesus wants his disciples to do is say, hey, notice this thing. There are people in your lives with persistent unbelief. And if you coast along with them and leave your heart unattended, it will become hardened. But I'm telling you, you need to come in my presence and soak here and receive me and let me transform you. Jesus is calling out his disciples because he sees them in grave danger. A hardened heart will steal your joy. So beware of it. It will steal your joy. You will fail to see the things God is doing around you when your heart is hardened. You will find yourself becoming less thankful because you can only focus on what you're not getting when you think you, should, you deserve it. A hardened heart quenches joy, and God is about giving us exceeding joy in his presence. You know you've got a hardened heart when you become pessimistic about something like prayer. Why pray? God doesn't hear me anyway. He listens to them, but I never heard him listen to me. Doubting God's goodness in your life or maybe feeling self-reliant and realizing, huh, it seems to work. God, when I was trying to follow you, life was hard, but now that I'm about myself, it seems easier and the hardness begins settling in. Where was God when I needed him? He didn't show up for me. He's not meeting my expectations. I've tried God, and he didn't work. I've heard that one before, like he's toothpaste or something. This one's supposed to shine your teeth, but it didn't work. I tried it. Let me try a different one. And and God doesn't want us to be those kind of folks who think our relationship with him is trying him out. But the truth of the matter is he calls us to surrender our lives to him to experience His joy, and to let Him keep our hearts softened. And so will you join with me in the book of Mark, chapter 8. And in the pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 843. 843. My hope and prayer today, church, is if, as I've been given, given this introduction if you notice that you've got a hardened heart or you're in a pathway that's sending you in a trajectory to a hardened heart, that God would put the brakes on you today. And that as you hear the word declared over you today, that your heart should begin to soak in that, soak in God's goodness, soak in Jesus's love, soak in the gospel, soak in God's power to soften your heart. So we find ourselves in the book of Mark chapter 8. The last few Sundays, we were, looking, we're in chapter 7, which shows how Jesus went to people outside of Jerusalem into a land that would call Gentile lands. Non-Jewish people live there. And Jesus did so to demonstrate that God's love and power and transformation is meant for all people. Can you say all people? It's not limited by geography or boundary or language or culture or ethnicity. It is for all people. Say it again. And so we come to chapter 8, and from what we see in the preceding context, Jesus appears to be in what's called the land of Decapolis, which is a land filled with non-Jewish people. And Jesus is there intentionally to show his disciples that he still has a burden and heart for all lost people. And what we see in chapter 8, verses 1 and following is an interesting story that almost exactly mirrors what we saw in chapter 6. When Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. I'm going to read for us the opening verses here. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, hungry, to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. Jesus has been in this dilemma before. People are there listening to him. They've come from all places, and they've been with him for three days. Whatever food they may have packed up has run out. They are hungry. Jesus realizes this, and what is a problem now becomes an opportunity for instruction In verse 4, the disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And if you're like me, I'm just like, really? You're going to ask this question, disciples? How can anyone feed these people? We find out later there's 4,000 people. You're asking how can anyone feed these people in this desolate place? Because in my Bible, I just got to turn the page, one page back, and I see that Jesus fed over 5,000 people in a desolate place. What is going on here? See, the disciples are slipping into this hard-hearted mindset where they're walking by sight and not by faith. See, God calls us to be people who believe even when we don't see. And when we walk by sight, though, instead of faith, We fail to see God's passion, his power, and his purposes. You see, the disciples fail to see that Jesus had compassion on these people. And so they're there asking, how can all these people be fed? But they also fail to see Jesus' power because, guys, Jesus just fed 5,000 people. Are you asking how he can feed 4,000? And so they ask him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. They fail to see his passion. And now they're also going to fail to see his purpose. I find it interesting. They say, how can one feed these people in this desolate place? One, how can one feed these people? And as we see in this chapter, that these people are non-Jewish people. And I wonder if the disciples are asking, you know, we we saw how you can feed our people, but I don't know how you can feed these people, Jesus. Because perhaps they're failing to see that Jesus has come for all people. And so there they are, looking at Jesus, wondering, hey, what are we going to do? You know, a lot of people, no food, what's going to happen? It's like they're boxing in Jesus, saying, Jesus, we've seen you do miracles in the land of Israel, but really here too. And the truth of the matter is oftentimes we could box in Jesus, can't we? We could limit him. We could determine what God can do, where he can do it, and why he does it by our own understanding. And God's like, no, that's not how I do things. I am God. I can feed these people in this desolate place as I fed those people in that desolate place. But the disciples were missing out on this. And so Jesus, in verse 5, asked them, how many loaves do you have? I've heard this one before. They say seven loaves. Jesus blesses the food, distributes it, and all 4,000 people are fed. Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the bowl with his disciples and went to the district of Jesus is, continues to be on the run here, but we see his disciples still misunderstanding what's going on. The hardened heart is seeping in. When Jesus goes to the other side, though, he's confronted with some more people with hardened hearts. Look there in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a, uh, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. We see Jesus traveling quite a bit here. He's on the run. And wherever he goes, he's been confronted with people whose hearts are being hardened, who have a persistent unbelief. And now it's the religious leaders of his day saying, Jesus, show us a sign. Show us a sign. And it said that they set, they set out to argue with him. You see, they weren't concerned about learning about Jesus. They were trying to discredit Jesus. They are continuing in their persistent unbelief. See, in chapter 3, verse 6, we see that the Pharisees and a group called the Herodians had already set in their mind that they wanted to kill Jesus. And here they're trying to corner him, saying, give us a sign Show us what you've got. I know some people have said, well, maybe the Pharisees didn't see any of Jesus' miracles that he had done. And they just want to see one for themselves. But in my mindset, that seems to miss the point here. See, these people aren't concerned about what Jesus can do. They've heard it. They probably have seen it. But their hearts are hard and are persisting in unbelief. And they want to discredit Jesus before other people. But Jesus isn't about to play their game. He says, this generation wants a sign, but no sign will be given to them. They want to see more, but I've showed you enough. And it's interesting how when we have hardened hearts, it seems that God can never do enough to to appease us. It it seems that whenever we ask God to do something and he delivers, it's like, but what about this one now, God? And Jesus here is telling the Pharisees, I'm not going to play that game. You've seen and heard all he's done. Jesus has healed a paralyzed man. He had fed 5,000. He healed a bleeding woman. He had cast out demons. He had done plenty of things. They didn't want to know. They're trying to corner him. And Jesus says, I'm not going that route. I am God. You are not. I call the shots. You don't. Jesus' authority tells us a lot here, and he's not about to play their games. I find it interesting, though, that they asked Jesus for a sign to test him, Mark says. And we see that Satan tests Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But we also see, though, in Scripture, in Malachi chapter 3, where God says, Refer, uh, ref, re, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um. Speaking of finances, referring to, that's the word I'm looking for. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Give and see that I don't bless you abundantly. So in one passage, God says, put me to the test. And the other one, he says, don't put the Lord your God to a test. In Isaiah 7, Isaiah goes to the king. He says, ask God for a sign. He will show you. And here Jesus says, you want a sign? I'm not going to give you a sign to appease you. And so we hold these passages together, and you're asking God, do you want us to put you to the test, or do you not? Do you want us to ask you for a sign, or do you not? And what's behind the two questions is this. What are you seeking from it? You see, Satan was testing Jesus so as to put himself as authority above Jesus. The Pharisees were testing Jesus to discredit Him. But what God says, if you seek me, you will find me. Watch how I show up. Watch how I deliver when you walk by faith. So He calls us to walk by faith and in that way, to test Him. But it's not so that we could believe, but it's to show His power and might. See, God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight, but a hardened heart prevents us from doing so. And here the Pharisees are messed up their hearts were hard and jesus saying i'm not playing your game he gets back into a boat and he leaves them and so now all of a sudden jesus is alone with his disciples in a boat and they're like okay a lot has just happened you fed four thousand people in the gentile land you told the pharisees you're done with them and now we're in a boat with you and let's pick up here in verse 14 now they had forgotten to bring some bread we're like bread again really And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So now there's a problem. There's 12 disciples and Jesus, 13 guys and a loaf of bread. Like rock, paper, scissors is about to happen here. And Jesus speaks to his disciples. He cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We make bread with leaven, it causes it to rise. And the disciples, verse 16, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So we're like, okay, what's going on here? They get on a boat. They got one loaf of bread, 13 people, and Jesus says, beware of the bread of the Pharisees and the scribes and Herodians. And they're like, but they didn't give us any bread. All we have is the one loaf here. They're just totally missing the illustration. Jesus is speaking on a spiritual plane, and they're just caught up with their hunger right now. And Jesus says in verse 17, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Like, like could you imagine the disciples? We have no bread, Jesus. Like, five thousand in Israel, four thousand in Decapolis, and you got one loaf in a bowl. Are you really worried about that? And Jesus, is like, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did I take up? And they said twelve. And the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And I'm reading, I was like, No, I don't, Jesus. What are you saying? Like I, I, they don't understand. I'm, not, I'm having a hard time getting this. What's, what's going on here? See, what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out that he's trying to show the disciples a lesson, and they're just totally missing it. See, Jesus has compassion on the, on the people as if they were sheep without a shepherd. He's like, I'm going to feed your soul. Yeah, I'm going to feed you food, but I'm going to feed your soul. And the disciples are just missing the fact that Jesus, God in human flesh, had come to fulfill the needs of the people, the spiritual needs, their needs before God. And they're just worried about not having enough food. Jesus says, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. See, what's happening here is this. The unbelief of the religious leaders, the political leaders in Jesus' day was starting to seemingly rub off on the disciples. The religious leaders didn't see Jesus for who he was and couldn't appreciate what he was doing, so much so that they say, give us another sign when he had given them plenty. And here the disciples appear to be falling into the same trap. And Jesus sees it. He's concerned. He's saying, beware, watch out. Your heart's being hardened. You're failing to see me for who I am. You're worrying about bread on a boat, but I'm here feeding souls. You've got no faith. And he challenges them. One writer says the disciples are anxious about lack of bread, but Jesus is anxious about lack of faith. This is the real problem here. Now, when I read the scriptures, when I see numbers in scriptures, you, you'll, you'll hear from me often. I'm not one to parse out numbers. Say, oh, this, this number refers to this. Like, there's no Bible code to crack. You see people cracking Bible codes God wants to speak to us. He's not trying to be like, hey, I don't want you to find this out. No, he, he wants us to know him. And so when I see numbers in scripture, oftentimes I, I don't get caught up thinking there's a code to crack. But I find it interesting here how Jesus points out two numbers. How many baskets full of bread did you take up when I fed the 5,000? And the disciples say, 12. How many baskets full of bread did you take up when I fed the 4,000? And they say, Seven, And he says, do you not yet understand? And I'm like, I think we're supposed to understand something here. Back in chapter 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he was putting himself in the shoes of the good shepherd in Psalm 23, who makes God's people lay down in green pastures and feeds their souls. And it's as if Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, and these 12 baskets of bread, Refer to my coming to save my people Israel. And here in chapter seven, uh, chapter eight, the number seven throughout Scripture refers to perfection, completeness. And I wonder if what Jesus is saying here, in the Gentile land, I fed four thousand and had seven baskets left over. It is completion. I've come for Israel and I come for the Gentiles. I come for all people, and it's complete. That's who my mission is for. And the disciples are there misunderstanding things. Being led astray by the leaven, the bread of the Pharisees, the hardened hearts, the unbelief, the persistent denial of Jesus. And Jesus says, beware of it. You know, when we talked about at the men's retreat how bad company corrupts good morals from 1 Corinthians 15. And it's like Jesus is telling them, be careful how you engage these religious leaders and these politicians who are going to affect your thinking about who I am. See, the Herodians believe, they're, they're politicians, they believe that the king was the king and there was no other king to be. And Jesus is saying, I have come to bring a kingdom. Watch their teaching. The Pharisees had a problem with Jesus and Jesus said, be careful of their teaching. And we as ourselves... When we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, need to pay attention to our hearts and the company we keep and the leaven that could be inserted into our lives. Jesus is saying, be careful about the things that you let enter into your ears, the, the uh, engagements you have, the conversations you have. Test everything by the scriptures. Beware of voices that point you away from me. Because bad company will corrupt good morals. Bad belief will corrupt good and sound doctrine. Jesus saying to his disciples, you're starting to fall prey to this. You're missing everything. You're not even celebrating all that I've done here. Your vision is getting blurred. Hebrews 3.12-14 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, when we fail to see God for who he is, and we let our hearts be unattended like that bowl of oatmeal, and we let it begin to harden over time, unaddressed, we're going to find ourselves in the situation with the disciples where we fail to see what God is doing we fail to see his mission, we fail to see his love, and we fail to experience his joy. The disciples are hung up about a loaf of bread in a boat. And we get hung up about all kinds of things when we let our hearts become hardened. Now I say to be careful of the company we keep, but not to isolate ourselves from the world around us. There was a saint in the 400s named uh, Simon Stelites. And this man was known for one thing in church history. He's known for sitting on a pillar. See, he was a a, a monk in the church during that time, and he was so annoyed with the fact that so many people kept coming to him for advice, for wisdom, for prayer. And he's like, I got no time for myself. And so what he does is he erects a nine-foot pillar and sat on top of it, basically saying, don't bother me. And over 30 years of doing this, The pillar got bigger and bigger and bigger and reached 50 feet. True story, church. Dude sat on a pillar. Of course, he came down for certain needs, but they even sent him food up that pillar. He was there for over 30 years, separating himself from the world so he can finally get some time alone. Now, I know you want to do that. I know that sounds real good. But Jesus never advocates for us to for, you know, for isolationism. But he says, be careful who you engage with and how you do so. Don't put your guard down. Test everything by the scriptures. Yes, keep friendships with people who maybe believe different things in you, but test everything. Be accountable. Make people know what's going on in your life. And the disciples here were led astray by different mindsets and opinions. Beware of having a hard heart because it will steal your joy, quench your wonder, and rob you of awe. And the disciples were experiencing that in the worst of ways. My question for you is, how do you know you've got a hardened heart when you've got it? Well, I gave us some examples to start out the message. And I want you to ask yourself, is your heart hardened? Are you finding yourself having a hard time believing God? Are you having yourself finding yourself having a hard time with prayer, becoming very pessimistic, like, don't even bother praying about it? Don't even bother with God. I tried them out. What ways is your heart hardening like oatmeal? What ways is that happening? Someone has asked the question how do I soften then my hardened heart? And the answer is like the bowl of oatmeal to soak. Soak with Jesus in his presence. And what that means is saying, God, my heart is getting hard. And maybe I don't even know what it is. I can't put my finger on what it is that's hardening my heart, God. Maybe it's unanswered prayers, unmet expectations. You didn't show up the way I thought you would. Maybe I'm frustrated in life. I look at other people and see what they've got and see what I've got. And your heart's becoming hard and just say, God, I feel this way. I'm just being, I'm being honest, God, I feel this way. And there's unbelief that's setting in the end here. And I'm unable to see you at work around me. So when we've got a heart and heart. Just bring it before God. Just just vent before God and say, God, this is how I feel. And say, Lord, help me with that. Soften it, God. And softening hearts come when we repent and say, God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for the ways that I'm being right now. I'm, I'm having a hard time. Forgive me. And as we cry out to God in these ways, we're in his presence. The Bible says when we come to God in prayer, we're there for the throne room of grace. Where God comes not to condemn us, but to receive us and display his grace toward us, even in our time of need. And so it's that way we soak in his presence. And then we soak in his words and say, God, Renew this mind of mine. I've been influenced by teachings on the radio, by books I've been reading that perhaps I haven't been filtering, by conversations I have, by relationships I have, by music I listen to. God, these world views are hardening my heart because they're allowing unbelief to settle in, and I haven't been filtering it. God forgive me. Help me walk with the filter and let your word be that filter that renews my mind, helps me see things with your eyes. And with your heart. One of my favorite verses in prayer is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Where the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search my heart, know my thoughts See if there's anything. Is there anything in me that grieves you right now, God? Because I don't want to be found with an unbelieving, hardened heart. Lead me in the way that's everlasting. Put me in that way that you want me to go. So I don't end up like the disciples. Worrying about where my food's coming from. When the giver of life is in the boat with me. The disciples found themselves in a place that almost doesn't make sense to us when we read it but quickly makes sense when we see ourselves. The same Jesus who is with them is with you. The same Jesus who met the 5,000 and the 4,000 and met their need, their deepest needs, which ultimately was his teaching and their physical needs displaying his compassion, that same Jesus is there for you when you put your faith in him. He's unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and Forever. Don't let your heart become hardened and say he's not there for you. When he is, he's in the boat with you. There are many dangers of an unbelieving heart. But from my experience, there's been no bowl of oatmeal that couldn't be softened. And I've left it linger for a long time before. There's no heart that is too hard for God to soften. So maybe you feel like you're beyond reach. Maybe you said some things. Maybe you said some things to God, and you're like, man, I should not have said that. I can't go back to him. Mm-mm. And God's saying, no, come to me. You need me. You need to soak here. I can take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh by my spirit, by my power. Church, I'm going to pray here. I'm going to have the band. Come on up now, uh, worship team. I want you to think about your own heart right now. I want you to think about ways that maybe you're allowing hardness to settle in. And I want you to take a moment, even as we begin to play right now, just to pray in your seat. Just bow your head where you're at. Maybe you haven't prayed in a long time. Maybe your heart has become so hard that you've even stopped talking to God altogether. You must understand that He is ever patient with those who come seeking to find. Don't put them to the test like the Pharisees just to discredit him. But say, Lord, I believe you can soften me. Please do it in my life. So even where we're at right now, let's just bow our heads, bow our hearts together. Maybe you don't know how to pray, and I'm going to pray a prayer. And maybe you'll repeat that prayer in your heart. But let's bow our heads and hearts even now. If you don't know how to pray, if you don't know what to pray, or if you can't get yourself to pray, say, Lord, help me. Maybe you can repeat these words in your own heart. Father God, I call you Father because you deal with me as a son or daughter because of Jesus. Lord, my heart is hard right now. I have let hardness set in over time. You know what things have led me in this place. But God, today, I want to say I don't want my hard heart to steal my joy. God, restore the wonder of knowing you. Restore the joy of trusting you. Help me hope in you again. Help me believe in you again. Take my heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And help me remember that you are in the boat with me. Jesus, I pray these things in your name, amen. There may be people in your lives that you know are struggling, battling, they need to hear of God's compassion, they need to hear of Jesus' ability to soften what is hard. Would you even take a moment, pray for that person right now in your heart. Pray for that family member, that loved one, that husband, that wife, that child, that co-worker in the cubicle next to you, that childhood friend, just bring their name before Jesus right now and say, God, soften their hearts. Help them see your compassion. Use me as an instrument to communicate your love and power in their lives. Pray that they would see that their sin can be forgiven because of Jesus' death on the cross. Pray that they could see that they are not enemies of God when they put their faith in Jesus, but adopted into his family. Pray that they can experience forgiveness. Father in heaven, we confess today that we need you. And Lord, we thank you that where sin runs deep, grace abounds. And where you are is where I need to be, oh Lord. So Father, I pray that even this morning, you would begin to work in our hard hearts. Yes, we're a mess, but yes, we're deeply loved. Grace transforms us, God. So let that be our cry today. Oh, Jesus, protect us. Help us beware and watch out from letting unbelief settle in. We believe in you. And we know that all we need is you. So we bring these prayers before you in Jesus' name. Amen.